Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Welcome to the Omega Particle Podcast. I am your gracious host, like the man said, the Doctor of Dilithium, the anchor man of the Federation, and we have a big show for you today. I, it's a big hat. It's funny. So there's a there's this old SNL um, sketch with the late great Norm Macdonald, and he's supposed to be. Burt Reynolds and he wears his big hat and Celebrity Jeopardy and it's like big hat. It's funny. Luna, can we can we play that? What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I found this backstage. Uh, oversized hat. It's funny. No, it's not. Sure it is. It's funny. It's funny because it's uh, bigger than a <clears throat> you know, normal hat. I, I see that. Get back to your podium. <laughs> Take a look at that. Yeah. So that's that's what I mean. A very Turd Ferguson type of joke. If you know what I'm referencing, you would love this. But if not, no big deal. So we're not here to talk about Turd Ferguson. We're here to talk about the other big hat-wearing species in Star Trek, those lovable, long-lasting, immortal, the Elarians. I'm pronouncing that right, Luna? The Elarians. And I'm excited to do this. This is kind of one of those mystery species we know a little bit about thanks to the movies, but not a ton. And I, it'll be fun. So, I mean, there's things about, like, we're going to deep dive into, like, famous Elarians, the fun facts about their biology, tech, culture, what really happened between Q and Guinan, and then also this neat theory about a Cold War between the Elarians and the Q Continuum. I, I was, like, just tickled pink because this was something new on Star Trek that I never really found out before. So, and again, it's a theory, so we'll, we'll play into it. So we're going to cover all that today on OPP, but it is Christmas. I don't know. And so like the famous captain says, we have to make it so, make it so, and make it so. It's the Christmas seasons. Uh, get all those gifts wrapped, or if you don't celebrate Christmas, whatever. <laughs> Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. There's a lot out there, so um, however you celebrate this holiday season, I hope you have a good time and have some fun, because I know I'm having fun with this episode. (laughs) I've had a lot of coffee today, and I don't don't know if you could tell. But anyway, without further ado, let's get into it, Luna. Let's roll that beautiful bean footage. Like I mentioned in the intro, this is a long-living, almost immortal-esque type of species in the Star Trek world, the Elarians. And much of what we know about them comes from Guinan. And I'm not talking about a Gungan, if you're getting that confused with with Star Wars. Uh, This is Guinan, the 10-forward bartender on the Enterprise D. And, I mean, she's, she's great. She's kind of like this word... And beacon of wisdom on the Enterprise and uh, always willing to offer advice and one of the fun characters on the show. And there's a scene between her and Q. Um, I forget which season it is, what episode it is, but they kind of 
have this history. And so that's kind of what made me want to do this episode. It was like, okay, there's a history here. I want to deep dive it. So let's roll with it. So we're going to be covering a lot of canonical information. There's going to be a little bit of like side stories, as I like to call, like video games and books that we might kind of draw from a little bit, but it's not going to be a lot. But the main three things that you need to know about these big hat wearing people. No, I don't know, Luna, if all of them wear big hats. It's just Guinan. No, she doesn't wear the hat in Picard. Okay, we're going to edit that out. Anyway, so back to what I said. The top three things that you need to know is that the first, they're like very live a long time, especially for a humanoid species. Number two, they are dispersed across all of the quadrants. They are everywhere and possibly mainly do, not possibly, uh, mainly do because they lost their home world to the Borg. Uh, And the final thing is that they're often referred to as a race of listeners, uh, people who collect tales and experiences, and that's what they value. And I'm like, yeah, that's pretty, pretty cool, pretty neat. So let's let's just kind of start off with some uh, famous Elarians. I know you've probably heard of a few that when I mention you, be like, oh, okay, pretty neat, and then cover some fun facts before we really get into the deep dive of the species, like their home world, culture, technology, etc. So we're going to start off with the Grand Poobah of Gynan. And she's one of these Elarians that was rescued by the Enterprise um, around 500 years old at the time. And she spent a lot of her early adult years traveling and kind of been away from her home world, you know, at the time of the Borg attack. And she was even on Earth at one point in the 1890s because she was hiding out from her dad. She even encountered Q in the 2160s, and that's where they kind of have their relationship kind of get adversarial, but we'll get into that. Guinan was also aboard a famous ship, the SS Lucal, when it was caught in the Nexus in 2293. So you're like, Nexus, that sounds familiar. That's because it's from Star Trek Generations, friend, and that whole plot of the movie. And so when the ship was kind of being torn apart, Guinan and other refugees were trapped inside this ribbon, inside the Nexus. Where, you know, if just a refresh from generations, you know, time wasn't linear in there. And that everything one desires can become real in that scenario. Which we'll talk about soon because there's a lot of Elarians in Generations, the movie. Guinan was rescued and uh, this echo of Guinan, I guess you could call, remained in the Nexus. And following the incident, she kind of had this sixth sense of um, different timeline disparities and... She could kind of detect when the timeline was going to rise. And in 2365, Jean-Luc Picard uh, invited her to become, you know, this hostess, bar manager, bartender, whatever you want to say it. And she said yes, and that her and Picard, you know, had this friendship that was beyond family, and they spent many years together. Uh, and then she was slinging synthahol and alcohol. I'm a synthaholic. Do you know, fun fact, Luna, that was actually one of the names that we debated for the podcast was the the synthaholics but um i think another podcast chose it so we couldn't do it but she's she's had a remarkable life uh it's been noted she's been married 23 times and i guess when you live like 900 years that's gonna happen uh she's mothered several children and she's supposedly an expert marksman so she likes to love hard and shoot fast as I like to say. 
keeping in the Generations vibe and, and the famous Elarians, we're going to deal with the main baddie kind of with the movie Star Trek Generations, and that's Dr. Tolian and Sauron. And, and so in 2371, he was another survivor of that Nexus disaster and that ribbon that went through the galaxy, and he was rescued by the Enterprise, but... But what he wanted to do, and just a real quick recap and what his big thing in Generations was, he was desperate to return to recreate a life with the family he lost when the Borg attacked. So he was going to try to blow up the sun and try to kind of rework time so that his um, destroy the sun and the Viridian system that would change the course of the Nexus, which would enable him to get his family back, which was cool. And, and again, I'm, I'm leaving out a lot. And but uh, I'm not going to really tell you what happened, but Generation is mostly known for when Kirk and Picard team up to, to battle the Sauron guy. It's a good movie, but I don't want to spoil anything more if you haven't seen it. Moving on to another great, kind of less famous, but when I mention him, if you're a big DS9 fan, you'll ultimately know I'm talking about. And again, plug for our DS9 reviews that we're doing, and that is Martis Mazur. And so while at the same time Sauron's out there, not Sauron, Sauron. Sauron's like the dude from Lord of the Rings, right, Luna? Yeah. It's Lord of the Rings isn't my thing, man. I'm just not a... I love the movies. I need to read the books. I actually ordered the book. So I'm going to start the books because I have some free time over the holidays. Rabbit hole. Either way, Martis Mazur, you know, he's actually opens a club on DS9. He's a con man. He has the rig games. And he was the guy that kind of challenged Odo and Quark to kind of be friends because he was being a dick and taking people's money and being a con man. And that's on season two, episode 11 rivals. Now, however, that's only the biggies I could find. There's really not a lot of other LREans out there that made a bunch of big history, but normally they're just very content again with listening and, and gaining experiences and gaining stories. So they don't want to make history. They just want to absorb history. I think that's the best way to say it. Moving on to some fun facts. So this is, uh, if you ever get into Star Trek trivia at a bar one day, you can dominate if they have an LRian section <laughs> or a uh, category. So Gene Roddenberry actually named Guyton after this vaudeville actress, Texas Guyton, who ran a speakeasy in New York City during the Prohibition. And the LRians were actually named after Elaria, the angel of flame in, e in ancient Hebrew lore. The name was first heard on January 2nd, 1994, in the Deep Space Nine episode Rivals, which we talked about. Another fun fact is Guinan's relationship with Captain Picard has always kind of been a mystery, but at the convention, Whoopi Goldberg did shed some light on it and said that Roddenberry wanted Guinan to be very old and perhaps an ancestor of another character. And Whoopi said, I always assumed that Picard was one of my, one of my great, 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 great grandkids, something like that. And now we know through, you know, Picard, the, the three season show, you know, they actually have some of the history because Picard went back in time in another universe, another timeline and kind of met with Guinan and talked. So I'm not going to talk about too many spoilers with that. And fun fact is that Guinan was actually almost going to be in the DS9 episode of Rivals. But at the very last second, Michael Piller uh, wanted this uh, Martis Mazur, that character, to be her son. And for Guinan to appear in the episode and kind of like lambast him for being a con man. But unfortunately, Goldberg wasn't available and the script had to change. Due to that, 
he remained an Ilarian, but all the references were taken out. So moving on to some of the, the funner stuff, as I like to say, it's funner a word, I don't know. And we're going to talk about their home planet. So I, again, we see this in Star Trek so many times, is that we have species that will share the name with its system and planet as, you know, their, their race. So we would, that's like us being like, I'm a human from the planet human. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, it's like not very imaginative and but maybe, I don't know. It, only thing we know is that El Aria is kind of named after, I think it's primary star, El Aria. So it's like, okay, so they're, they're the El Arians because their star is El Aria. Again, super, super cool and great writing there, Star Trek people. <laughs> anyway, uh, this the location is very vague. I, I try to get a lot of references for this and... It seems like they're kind of deep in the Beta Quadrant or even lightly in the um, Charlie Quadrant, I guess you could say. It's not really mentioned. It's it's kind of where the Borg, you know, came through the mid to late 23rd century. And what we know is the Borg were making their way through the neutral zone between the Romulan and the Federation space. And they were expanding at that time in 2365. So that's when we could kind of... We know that for a fact, and so Elaria was assimilated a hundred years prior to this, so the Borg would have still been encroaching to the Alpha Quadrant, so it makes us think, okay, that's deep Beta Quadrant, just using like simple logic. Of course, Elaria is an M-class planet, and it's kind of like the hub of their community and their society. Uh, there's cities on the planet include Larazi, Sodora, and a lot of smaller like outlying settlements. It, it is noted that civilizations could be tens of thousands of years old, and considering their lifestyle, they must have been spacefaring for a super long time. However, for such an ancient civilization to fall to the Borg, we can infer that, you know, that level of technology may not, may not have been that advanced, and the loss of the homeworld between 2265 and 2293 just left refugees flowing out into the Alpha Quadrant and the Beta Quadrant just displaced and they continue to be without a home of their own well into the 25th century sadly and we're going to get into my theory with this cold war why they weren't prepared for the board they've been around you know super long time couple tens of thousands of years why isn't their technology there and just for a little hint if you're thinking of dipping out is that maybe they weren't tired of fighting physically and they were elevating to another plane of existence. And maybe the Q continuum had a problem with that. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, moving on to the biology. Again, Elarians, humanoid, uh, share a lot in common with humans from their skin tones, eye color, build, so on. I mean, they can easily pass as a human or a betazoid. You know, it just allows them to kind of intermingle with several cultures. Uh, the biggest difference, like I've mentioned several times, is that they live forever. They can live up to 500 years old, and that's only considered middle age. And the we don't really know on camera or on length that how long one can live. But in like the video games and the books, you know, we can still have like an LREMB at 700, 800 years old and just kind of be perfectly fine young spry chicken. So it's really tough to say. They're still considered young at about 100 years old, which is crazy to me. 
and they they really kind of hold back signs of aging visibly and consciously can't allow themselves to look older if they wished it which i thought was kind of weird and shape-shifting in a way it's just it's tough to say but that's kind of all that we really know about them biologically and it's it's kind of very straightforward from that it you can tell when they created the species they just wanted like a humanoid species but maybe on a little more caffeine maybe a little cooler longer life and can do more stuff moving on to the culture of the Elarians and from what I've seen this is kind of like you know they're a dispersed crowd you're not going to get several of them together obviously with their history it's kind of sad because you have this long living species that doesn't have a home and so now they're kind of driven out one of their big factors and big areas in their life that they love to do is explore their cultures, societies, and learn from them. So it kind of worked out for them in a way. And so now that they mingle and talk and, and most importantly, listen and they collect news and tales from all across the galaxy, which is really cool. They even embed themselves into culture for decades to learn it. Again, this is a value of theirs. So even could be centuries that they would immerse themselves in the culture partake in the culture just to gain that experience and that understanding and before they would just return home and share their experience and share their knowledge but now they're kind of just these rogue nomadic cowboys and that's kind of sad because you know you think in the 24th and 25th century they would you know band up together and be like look we got to find an m-class planet and where we can start building again because they have the lifespan to do that so you think that would be the the thing to do they also seldom involve themselves in the affairs of others. They're, again, more content to get stories and listen to people are always sage counsel and advice givers. So even though they don't like to get involved, they still like to kind of give good advice. So, and of course, that's what we see a lot with Gaiden. And a lot of them are great because, you know, we see them kind of coax emotion out of others. And... And a lot of times, I think this is almost like a Betazoid knockoff because they can tell those emotions and those what people are feeling by just, you know, conversing and having that experience of hundreds and hundreds of years of doing that. And that's how they can make great comment like that. Uh, Mazler from DS9. And again, we learned a lot from that DS9 episode because it, I think there's an old woman talking to him about her mining rights. And she's like, it's so easy to trust and open up to them. And that's kind of always been said about their culture and them as a people. That, you know, a lot of them can just, just blow up on them and, and throw up on them with all this information. And that's great because that's what they value. So, of course, they're going to be like that and want people to do that to them. So it's just kind of interesting to see again that they don't have a plan as i can sell and on media or on books or video games a plan to kind of resettle and also coming to one of the last tidbits of their society getting into the technological advancements and and the techie part of their culture so they kind of are kind of behind the scenes a little bit when they come to other worlds like they don't have a lot of colonies they don't really try to expand that way as other worlds and other species do. Most of their gear and tech and lifestyle would almost be a like collaboration of all the co- cultures that they've kind of surrounded some, themselves with and interacted with. As an observation, and even a speculative one at that, I would think this is simply all down to 
how their society operates, like what works best for them. With their long lives, they really don't need to kind of get anywhere fast. So better warp speeds might not have been a priority for them at the end of the day. So if they do like, you know, Archer and they can pull a max warp of five, they're happy with that because it's like, you know what, we're going to live for a thousand years. Who cares if it takes us 30 years to get to the other side of the quadrant because now we can meet ships and have stories and, you know, be on an adventure for 50 years. So I get that. I mean, why hurry when you find enjoyment and peace in the journey? That's all I'm saying. The another fun fact is that they spend a, a great deal of their lives outside of childhood wandering. It means that, you know, they have little use for colonies. So why colonize other planets if you're not even really trying to stick home? You're just going. So kind of go again for the why they big differences culturally from like, you know, the Romulans or the Klingons or even the Federation. They just... They're nomadic almost in a way, even before they lost their world. So moving on to one of the, the last couple tidbits of the episode and of the species, but something I'm excited to cover, and that's kind of this Q versus Guinan. So in, in this episode of TNG, we see Q has a fear of Guinan, which is weird because we see this arrogant kind of douchebag walk around and play trumpet and kind of walk all over the bridge crew. And all of a sudden they have this like hostility between each other, almost like cats. Like, Guinan is like, like with the, the, I don't know, cat claw hands. I don't know the best way to describe it. <laughs> and it's even mentioned in Picard Season 2, episode titled Monsters. And this, like, long-standing mystery of the hostility between Guinan and the Q is kind of finally addressed. Because towards the end of the episode, John Luke is seeking the help of a younger Guinan in her San Francisco bar and to summon Q and confront him. It's revealed that the Elarian race has a history with the Continuum, and the Q's kind of been fearful of Guinan. And it might be because in Monsters, Guinan provides this insight that she, she mentions this cold war between the two species. And doesn't go into any detail, thank you, but doesn't go into any, de- any detail about the conflict. So it just may be rooted that these Elarians are very time-sensitive and very... Like I mentioned before, they were very sensitive to changes in time, so maybe Q's tendency to manipulate reality, they didn't really get along. Eventually, it sounds like, according to monsters, that the two species reached a truce, quote-unquote, over a bottle. And this Cold War came to an end, and that this bottle plays a critical role in young Picard's summoning Q. Guinan again explains in this episode, as, as Q appears, that she has this ability to summon Q at will, which may be the source of his fear, because you have to think, you know, this guy's roaming around the entire galaxy willy-nilly doing whatever he wants, and then somebody could pull him out at a moment's notice. I, I guess that would be more intimidating and scary for him. Who knows? I, I did like how in Monsters of Picard, that, that Guinan kind of refused to view the Q as gods or as anything, you know, that this higher omnipotent power, kind of this reverence, this this fear involved with them that we see in TNG and Voyager, but she kind of views them as, you know, as a tangible species, something that you can understand. And it, it's really neat because so long in Star Trek, we view the Q as this unknowable, you know, almost godlike status. And then Guinan and hopefully all Elarians are like, nah, we're not buying that. The Q's not deity. They're just a species like everybody else. We just have to understand them. So this is what I'm excited about talking about 
this Cold War theory. Again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I was rewatching the TNG episode. I think it's called Transfiguration. Is that right, Luna? I was just watching that and in my own free time, because I, you know, love Star Trek. It's what we do. I, I think that to me what was happening is that the Elarians were kind of how can I say it's ascending in a way they were they were going to a higher plane and that this doesn't happen instantaneous in the species you know it's a rather slow process and it, it takes a long time for the species to get that way so that's what I think what happened the Q and the Allarians had their path crossed and it's the the Q were just starting to you know kind of mess with them maybe and kind of just be a little dicky to them and douchebag to them you know, I mean, he's done that before many times. So I think the Elarians were kind of starting to ascend a little bit, at least part of their society was. And at first, I think the Q really didn't know what was going on and didn't know how to deal with, you know, another species getting on a more of an like spiritual, non-physical plane, metaphysical plane, should we say. Kind of challenged the Q in a way and kind of throws a galaxy hierarchy into cahoots and they don't like it and kind of starts this cold war and maybe that the q retaliate and, and kill some of the lrians and the q and the lrians go back and forth and and it's just like a cold war because again it's just they don't want to wipe out each other's species because that's not cool it's kind of mutual destruction so i think this cold war era begins the Elarians are on their way to ascension, going higher to another plane. And so some have done it, some have not. And then a lot of them might have been destroyed by the Q. And the surviving ones say, hey, 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 for the sake of peace, we won't ascend. We'll just go back to our nomadic spacefaring ways. And we will just, and you don't mess with us, we'll be cool. It's kind of an, a, a truce, an agreement. We're not going to encroach on your territory. You don't be dicks to us. We're cool. And I think that's kind of what they agree on and, and it almost sounds like that there was an agreement reached with the Q for them to say well we won't ascend and go to a higher plane but you promise to watch out over us and I think that's also a big reason why the Borg show up on their doorstep and they're kind of again fighting on this metaphysical plane not really worried about weaponry or, you know, hard technology on their planet, and they haven't developed these military capabilities, and then all of a sudden, they turn to their new allies and be like, hey, Q, you're supposed to help us fight. We hope to protect us. Can you help us out? And that the Q could be dicks and be like, well, you know what? We were told you that your protection would come from non-corporeal entities, not biological ones, so sorry. I think that's the perfect explanation because I could see the Q reading the fine print and being absolute a-holes and holding their feet to the fire and being very technical about it and kind of just being, again, like dicks. Being like, well, technically we agreed only non-corporeal and that we protect you that way. That's what we meant, not biological. So then the Q can see the LRians wiped out and flung across the galaxy, sadly. I, I, again, I really like this theory. I think it holds water because it, it definitely goes with the Q's attitude and the way that they've interacted with all other species on Voyager and TNG. So I, I like it. We're going to keep it. 
So overall, as we wrap up this episode, the Elarians, you know, they've had this great horror befall them with the loss of their planet to the Borg. And they, they have some cultural pursuits of, of gaining stories and experiences for this nomadic lifestyle. But, you know, they've, they've been deprived of a planet to return to. So with that, their numbers have just diminished greatly. And, you know, with a, with a long living species like this, you know, you think that their lives would go at a slower pace, often, you know, parenting multiple children over the centuries. But it just doesn't seem that's the case anymore. So does this spell the end for them or not? I don't know. I, I, I probably would say not. I think that, you know, they're wise enough and incredibly capable capable of a, like adapting in any situation and persevering. So a good life lesson by the Elarians to persevere and, and keep going. But yeah, overall, that that's the species. Those are the big hat wearing. <laughs> yes, Luna, it's just one person wearing a big hat, and that's Guinan. Either way, I'm looking forward to hopefully one day them deep diving into this, maybe getting an episode about it on Strange New Worlds, or maybe even something in the movies. I, I think it'd be cool. So I hope you enjoyed our deep dive onto the Elorians. And again, thank you so much for listening. And Luna, let's wrap it up. Wow, that was good. That was good. I'm always really happy to get back into species deep dives and kind of opening the crate of mystery with these random small species that you know you haven't really heard of too much, maybe in a few episodes, and really deep diving and uncovering some really cool Star Trek lore. So I'm happy to do that. And always fun to do with you people. And Again, I know I've said this before. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for reaching out on social media and talking with me. I'm, I always love interacting with you guys. And I think we're up to 42, 43,000 followers on Instagram. So continuing to blow up. So if you want to reach out, we're spending a lot of my our time at the team and me. So please feel free to reach out there. We're uh, keeping our DS9 review train rolling this week. So look out for that. Remember to take care of yourselves out there. It's getting in the Christmas season. That can be rough for some, so always feel free that you can talk to people and reach out to family, friends, and loved ones. And like always, second start of the right. Straight on. Till morning.